Welcome to City Hill. We exist um, to light up our world so that people far from God can find life in Christ. We're so glad you're here. We've got new connect forms, by the way. Cheese, Dunno, Vistaprint. It's real. They're here. Boom. Living the dream. Hashtag winning. The works. August, we've got a new series starting. The Gospel According to Calvin Harris. We'll be looking at his, his song, How Deep Is Your Love. Um, it's going to be awesome. I think for me, at different stages, how I view God's love, how I've actually viewed it, not like just a theology. So like, I've always had an idea, oh yeah, for God to love the world. But when it comes to me, I felt like, okay, God loves the world, but me is a different story. Because I know me, and I know I'm a jackass. I, I know it. I know it straight up. Like, spend time with me long enough, and you'll just be like, no, not even God could love this guy. Seriously, ask my wife. So, um, well, she's not here, but next week or whenever um, you see her, just ask her and she'll be like, geez, it is tough to love a handy, I'm not gonna lie. It's only through Jesus that she loves me. So we're gonna be exploring that because ultimately speaking, when we kind of encounter God's love for the first time or again, it just changes everything. It allows us to be comfortable in our own skin. We don't have to look towards someone else and wanting to be like them. We can kind of be at peace with who we are and actually know who we are and who God's called us to be. It's going to be a really life-changing experience. We've got some awesome guest speakers coming who are like really cool. One of the top guys at Tier Fund's coming down. He's a sick, sick friend of mine and he's an amazing, crazy South African guy who literally is about that life, as in changing the world, not thug life. Um, he's a really cool guy. Uh, we've got Pastor Abby from Builders House in Croydon. She's absolutely insane. You'll love her. And we've got a couple other speakers, which I'll kind of reveal later. For August, I'm, I'm not going to be here for, for two reasons. The first reason is I've been signed off of work um, for anxiety. So I'm totally going to chill out over August and get ready to the craziness that is my workplace when I get ready and go again in September. The second thing is I'm going to have a mini sabbatical. And the reason for that is in September, we've got some insane plans and some really cool series and stuff that we want to work on. And so over that period, although I'm going to be taking a sabbatical, I'm actually going to be working on lots more creative stuff and things that we're going to be doing kind of behind the scenes, which is going to change everything. So today isn't a part of a series. It's kind of a totally different vibe that we've got going on. Today we're looking at a book in the Bible called um, Zephaniah. Zephaniah is a prophet. And um, Zephaniah was kind of born in the godless reign of a guy called Manasseh, who was like a total waste man. You can read about him in Kings. And um, what Zephaniah's name means is it means Yahweh has hidden, Yahweh has protected. So his very name is about being a refuge within God. And um, the kind of world um, that Zephaniah was built up in was totally different. So he kind of grew up in, and the time this is being written is under a different king's reign called Josiah, um, and he's a decent guy. The one theme that runs throughout the whole of this book is basically, it's like a balance. So it's like, a, like you have like where you put different weights on and it kind of balances it out and holds it in check. On the one hand, you've got like a lot of stuff talking about judgment. On the other hand, you've got like a lot of stuff talking about like God's blessing. Uh, on the one hand, um, you've got these kind of balances that are going on throughout the whole thing. But really, there are just three words that I want to take from each of the chapters because there's only three chapters in Zephaniah, which is really good if you're someone like me who has a really short attention span. Um, getting through multiple chapters can be a lot, but three chapters, oh, I can take that. The first word is gold. The second word for today is perhaps. And the third word is in Zephaniah's name, which is refuge. So in Zephaniah 1, 
verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18, we have this picture. He's talking about like judgment, and it's actually quite, if you read the whole of the first chapter, it's a lot of like man getting moved to. Like, on, on uh, well, not even just man, just so many different nations, different people groups, everyone gets moved to. Like, spoiler alert, every single nation around Israel gets moved to in the first chapter. It's just like God going, rags us on, and just going for it. It's just mental. And then towards the end, it goes, Neither shall their gold nor their silver shall be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's, of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth will be consumed for a fall and the sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. The reason I felt drawn to that verse more than any other in the first chapter, like in the first chapter, he's sending for bare nations, which probably don't mean anything to you or I, because we don't live with those nations. Like none of us think about the Philistines on a daily basis. We don't. It's like we barely think about Scotland, if we're honest. But the Philistines, it's not something that's real to us. We see different nations, all these different issues. But what he does say here at the end of the first chapter is neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on that day. What ultimately happens in society is we place a ton of faith in currency. We put a ton of faith in money all the time. And do you know what's insane about that? Is the Bible talks about you can't serve mammon and Jesus. So when he talks about mammon, he doesn't talk about currency. He talks about a God that's associated with currency. And the reason he does that is because I realized something really crazy over the last two weeks. I've been reading about Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin's a new digital um, currency, and there are now 700 digital currencies that have come out, which are no longer assigned. They're not assigned to any government, which is awesome because every other currency is assigned to a sovereign state. So the idea behind that is a currency can't go bankrupt because it's backed up by um, royalty. Um, but what happens is when when there's an issue, when there's a challenge, when there's a problem within a society, what they tend to do is when they struggle to repay their debt, is they print off a load more money. But the fact they've had to make and invent new money out of nothing to pay off their debt makes people call into question the value of that currency and the value of that government's ability to pay off its debt. So then everyone else who has a vested interest in that currency starts to pull out and see that currency as weaker and of a lower value because they've only printed off new money to pay off the debt. So it causes questions. And when they cause that question, the value of that money depreciates. And the reason the money depreciates in value is because, check this, there is no intrinsic value in any currency on this planet. It is just down to the collective view of what that value is. So money has no value. So what does money actually work on the basis of? Money was used and invented to interact between two people in exchange for a service. Because if you wanted a cow and all you had was hens, like, well, how many hens do you give? And one of them's not gonna be alive because you're not gonna go, it's exactly eight hens. You might go, all right, it's eight and a half, really, because come on, let's be serious, it's a cow. So then it doesn't really work. There's no real way to do it. So what you do is you go, well, the hen is worth this much in this money, the cow is worth this much, this item is worth that much, and then you have a means to be able to trade between all the commodities based on the money. Now, the money used to be anchored to the value of gold. And you think that's a great idea. But gold doesn't have any intrinsic value. Yes, it looks shiny, but ultimately it's a good conductor of electricity. But neither of those things hold intrinsic worth as opposed to the cow or the chicken or these other substances. So basically what that means is when you come down to the very lowest level of what money is, it's faith, it's trust. So when we talk in the Bible, when the Bible talks about who you're going to trust, God and money, we're like, that's crazy because money's a real thing. No, it's not. It's not real. It's a fictitious thing that we put trust in. 
And so what he's saying here in this passage, at a time where currency is a real thing, where gold and silver are the main things used to barter and to exchange between goods, he's saying, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. He's like, these fictitious things that you put your trust in, they ultimately will not be able to save you. And so I think in our society, more than any other period or time, we place our faith and our trust in money, an item that has no intrinsic value within itself except for what we all agree it has. So everyone freaks out about Brexit and then the pound is now at the lowest it's been in my lifetime compared to the dollar. But it doesn't make any sense because nothing's really changed. We haven't even left yet. You know what I mean? No Article 50 has been filed. We haven't left. We just had a a survey conducted across the nation. The politicians haven't done anything, but the money's gone down. And so what we need to ask ourselves about is, well, where is my trust? Like so often in my life, I stress out and I freak out about paying bills. I freak out about the cost of stuff. Will I have enough to provide for my daughter, provide for my wife? Will I be able to get by this month? And actually, my money won't be able to save me. And my wife is always reminding me of this, going like, what is wrong with you? Why are you putting your trust in that? Put your trust in God. He's the one who's been um, there for you. I remember my granddad used to say to me when I was a little kid, um, my granddad said it to his dad and my dad said it to me. And it's one of the best things my dad ever did. He always said to me when he tucked me in at night, when I was a little child, he said, God looked after granddad, God looked after me and mum, and God's gonna look after you. And so now when it comes to having my own family and I'm bricking it at night because all my trust is in money, I'm having to remind myself again, God looked after my granddad and he was kicked out with his kids and his wife out of not only their flat, but also the business they had below. So he lost both his work and his home, homeless on the street with kids. And he went to the church on the Sunday and he gave his tithe and he worshiped the Lord, put his trust completely in God, not in money. God looked after him. I look at my dad, the example he's given me of who he was and how he trusted in God regardless of his situation. And then it passes down to me and it goes, well, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna put my trust in silver and gold or am I gonna put my trust in what Jesus and God has for me? So what God is pointing out in this passage is he's talking to a people who are mixed up. The whole thing, if I could sum up one word for the entire book, it's about being authentic. Because ultimately what the children of Israel did was they were a bit scared where to place their trust and their bets. So they would go around saying like the God of Israel, I'm totally down with him, he's my God. But then what they would do is they would offer sacrifices to all the other gods and then they put their trust in silver and gold. And so God goes through talking about every nation because every nation was assigned a God. So when you had a God, it was sovereign over that piece of land, the very soil. So some people would go to another nation and take the dirt with them from that place and put it there because it was associated with their God. And they did it in faith and in trust that that God would still be with them. So when he starts sending for all the nations, they're like, yeah, 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 of course they're pagan gods, don't know, they're pagan, they're pagan. And they get around to it and then God starts sending for them. All of a sudden they're like, because he's going for Israel, he's going in on Judah, he's going in on everybody. And then it comes down to it. And don't think now when we've moved past territories, you've got down to money. Oh, no, no, no. Don't put your trust in that either because you'll get banged. Is basically what he's saying. And that's the theme of this book. And then when we move on to like chapter two, um, verse three, and we'll just read the first three verses. It says, gather together. Yes, gather together, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff in the wind. 
before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of anger of the Lord, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands, seek righteousness, seek humility, and it says, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the Lord's anger. And I love that. I love that optimistic word, perhaps. It just fills you with sheer confidence, doesn't it? It's like, hmm, perhaps. Well, uh, that's not really stealing the deal for me. But when we take that word in that way that it's been shared into account, if we reflect back to one of the series we did ages ago, we looked at Lamentations, and we looked at this book where they suffered so badly, they felt like they were cursed, they felt they were separate from God. There came this plea in the last chapter to ask God. They said, please just remember us in our suffering. Just remember us. That was it. That's all they asked. Can you restore us? Can you redeem us? But they were like, if you're just going to lay the smack down on us, we get it because we kind of deserve it. And that's how the book ends. And it's like, that's mental. Just with the question, will you remember me? And then for hundreds of years, that question just hangs in the air with no answer. Will you remember us? Until Jesus comes and he's on the cross and he's dying on a cross and there's a thief either side. And then the one thief starts sending for the other thief who's basically gone, one of them's gone to Jesus like, oh yeah, get us down from here, like, if you're the Messiah, like, you can get us out of this situation, like, Houdini. And then the other one goes like, don't you even fear God? Like, this guy's done nothing wrong, and he's up here. We have, we get what we deserve. And then the guy who gets what, he said we get what we deserve, he says to Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And so for hundreds of years, this question hovered in the air, unanswered. Straight away, Jesus answered and goes, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So that perhaps we read about in this chapter in Zephaniah, those people, they were scared to even put their trust completely in God. But you and I come from a sick vantage point where we can look at the thief, we can look at lamentations, we can look at this passage and we can go, no, it's not even like a will he. If I come to him and I say, oh God, I've totally wasted my life. I've totally invested in these different countries and these different beliefs and these different companies, corporations, finances. I put my trust in this ideology and this viewpoint, this way of life. I've totally missed it. But yet we know from this passage, it's not perhaps. We can come fully confident, fully like certified, Twitter, tick next to it, everything. He's done it. It's there. It's dealt with. And then what it goes on to say in chapter 3 verse 12, this is the last chapter. And what I love about it is this. Uh, I'll read from verse 11. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you've rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. For those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice, speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth any deceitful tongues. For they shall graze and lie down and none shall make them afraid. And it goes on to say loads more wicked stuff after that, as in good wicked, not bad wicked. It's not chapter one anymore. I love this particular passage and this last bit probably the most. And the reason I do is it all hinges on that word refuge. It's such a dope word. And the reason it's a dope word is because it's Zephaniah's actual name, that he is hidden in God. Um, the, The New Testament writers talk about being hidden in Christ. It's like that he's died and he's resurrected. He's taken all of God's wrath on him and now I'm hidden behind him and I'm awesome because of it. And I'm free because of it. And when we think of grace, often we get grace so, so twisted. 
It's like it's a refuge. What grace is? God's grace is mercy. His mercy is the refuge that we get to run into God, into Christ, and avoid getting our butts kicked by God. Because if we read chapter one, it is God is fully moving to man. I'm not even lying. He is fully going in. He's going ham. It is difficult to read. We get to hide in him through Jesus taking that wrath on the cross for us. So we are hidden in him. We are in him. We are, he is our refuge. But then the best bit is this, is what God's grace does is God's grace doesn't just say, come and hide. It says we come in him into his refuge and he transforms us from the inside out. And so we don't just carry on the same way we were before. There is a a transformation that takes place. So what is so good about Zephaniah's words is it's the usual smackdown you read in the Old Testament. There's a lot of tough stuff getting flung about. The second part is the perhaps, where we know fully certified the answer to his situation. But the third part, the refuge, the great thing about it is, is it's not just a hiding there, leaving the issue unresolved. It's God saying, I see your frailty, I see your weakness, I see the shame that you've been through, the heartache. Come find your refuge in me. Come and find your fulfillment. Come and find the very nature of who you are. The reason it's so great is it's Zephaniah's name. And the reason that matters today is because you and I, we all have a name. We all have a meaning. We all have a calling. We all have a vocation. And I believe today that what God wants to highlight to us is don't put your trust in gold or silver or any other thing. Put your trust in him. There's no perhaps anymore. You can fully trust him. It feels like you can't, just like the writer words it. He words it perhaps, but it's a certified thing. God's got you. The third part He wants us to find refuge in him that we can live transformed lives, holy and at peace with God, who is just so, so faithful. I'm going to pray for us, and that will probably pretty much be it for today. Father God, I don't want to put my trust in gold. I don't want to waste my life chasing after a currency that is so fleeting. I'm not chasing after pee. I'm not chasing after fame. Father, I want to learn to put my, tra- my trust fully in you. Perhaps at times it feels worrying and it feels like a risk. But actually, Lord, you are the only true refuge I have ever known. When I was a teenager and my world was falling apart, when people were after me, when people hurt those I loved, when my, my girlfriend was sexually assaulted, when all those things happened, you were a refuge. The times in my life where I've even been, been suicidal, God, I found you to be my refuge and you've changed my life. You've given me an amazing wife, a beautiful daughter. You've given me a home now, Lord. You've given so many good things to me, but so many different times it's looked like I shouldn't trust you and I should trust in something else. Father, every single one of us will have different moments in our lives where the very thing we will put our trust in will be called into question. And that's when we'll find out how authentic our faith and our trust in you is. Father God, may we start to realize that there's no perhaps about it. You are fully certified. You are fully good. You have got us and we can trust you. Your word says those who trust in the Lord are never disappointed. And Father, may we find our refuge in you, that in the safety of this storm, inside you we are safe, we are whole, but you don't just leave us there to be sustained the way that we are, but you will use all the tough parts of our lives to transform us and change us, that we may leave different. In Jesus' name, amen. So those guys 
the midst of this message that he's given in this book, like their nation is in chaos. The very fabric of their society is falling apart. And he's saying, we have a refuge in God. We'll get through this and we'll leave different. And the nation did. He, he was able to transform a nation with, with these words. And actually, I just want to encourage all of us that actually our trust needs to be fully in God. Um, it feels like a perhaps, but he's totally got you. He's totally got us. Step out and go for it. There's a refuge. He's got you. It may not feel like you're in a storm and everything's falling apart, but he totally has a plan. He'll walk with you through it and you can find a new way of living, which is totally better. They said they trusted him, but they put their trust in every other God. Ask the question this week, who am I trusting in that is leaving me so in such instability? What has led me to the place I'm in? Is there a better way? Not just in ideals, but better way in action. Because this book is about authenticity and there is a much better way that I know I can live my life to be more authentic and more like Christ that will bring more revolution to the people I love around me.